So, uh, we'll start off with the hymn, We Will Glorify. It's number 72 in your hymn books. Or can I... Oh, can I got the words up there already. <laughs> Let's stand as we sing. change for a day yeah let's be thankful for that let's be thankful that we all got nice houses to be in and warm uh, I'll read the call to worship you can read with me if you like but thou O Lord art a shield about me my glory and the one who lifts my head salvation belongs to the Lord thy blessings be upon thy people I'll just open with a word of prayer here Dear Lord, we just uh, give thanks uh, that uh, you've uh, given us a day of uh, warmer weather and just uh, give thanks that we have uh, warm houses uh, for the days when they're cold. Uh, we just uh, pray that uh, maybe this is uh, just a respite and uh, that uh, just to let us know that you're there. And we just pray in uh, the service this morning that uh, uh, Glenn can speak well of your word and that we can hear it and hear what you're trying to tell us. And just uh, pray for the upcoming week as well. In your name we pray. Amen. I think Jeremy is Rod this morning. Okay, I'll be reading from the book of Acts this morning, chapter 2, 
verses 37 to 47. Acts chapter 2, 37 to 47. And I was just thinking, as Glenn was up here playing for us, how pretty cool that is. Uh, I think I think we're pretty pretty lucky to pretty blessed to have Glenn be able to do that for us. And it got me thinking. I wonder how many churches have that luxury. And uh, I'll bet you there aren't too many. So thanks. It is. It is. It's a. It's something different, and I I think it's it's pretty cool. Anyway, in the book of Acts. <clears throat> when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. understand what it is that you want to say to us this morning. Lord, how I pray that the words that you have given me as I prepared this would be your words. Help me, Lord, just to be so in control, or that you would be so in control of me that it would be actually you speaking this morning, and we could hear from you, and we could understand what it is that you are trying to tell us. And that we would respond as if we have heard from you. Lord, we're just opening our hearts. Please come and feed us. We pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> this past hunting season, I neglected to do something that is vitally important. Yeah, something that no hunter should ever neglect to do. It worked out for me. I, I got away with it, but I should never have neglected it. And the excuses for this neglect were all there. I, I was really busy, didn't have time, the days were getting shorter. By the time I got home from work, to, uh, it was dark and I didn't get a chance. And 
plans have been made to go out to our land out there at Shell Lake on November 21st so I can hunt November 22nd and 23rd. November 21st came and I still hadn't taken the time to do what really should be done every year before you go out hunting. So I just grabbed my rifle, ammunition, my gear and I went hunting. <laughs> what I'm talking about of course is sighting in your rifle. <laughs> Taking a few shots before the hunt to make sure that your rifle is still on target. You should always do that. Uh, things can happen over time. Your rifle gets bumped, the scope gets jostled, perhaps numerous times without you really realizing it or knowing it. It can throw it off target. So it is no longer shooting where you're aiming. So it's important, and it's very important, before the hunt to take a few shots to make sure that it's still on target. If it isn't, then you can do the necessary recalibrations and adjustments to get it back on target. So that way, when you get your chance at an animal that you're hunting, you know your gun is shooting straight, and it will hit what you're aiming at if you are <laughs> a good shooter. Like I said, I got away with it this year. I, I neglected to sight it in before the hunt, and I just went hunting and hoped for the best. I did feel a bit uneasy as I was going out. I sh hadn't taken any shots since last hunting season. Is it still shooting straight? I'd heard stories <laughs> of people who didn't do that, and then they weren't hitting anything, and they couldn't figure out why until they sighted in their rifle and realized it was way off. But luckily, when my chance came, I put the crosshairs on the deer's chest and pulled the trigger and down it went. So it was a one-shot one shot hunt for me this year. But I would never recommend that neglect for any hunter. Always take the time to sight in your gun before the hunt. Always take the time to do that recalibration. And there's a reason for that story. When it comes to life in general, there are also times when we need to do some recalibration. We need to stop and do some evaluating. We need to cite things in again. Am I still on track? As a Christian, am I still walking humbly with my God? Things happen in life. You get doing stuff and you get busy and you kind of neglect a few little things here and there and uh, no big deal really but in time as it goes on all, you kind of get nudged off track so it's, time, it's good every once in a while to take the time to just do some reevaluation, do some recalibrating do some sighting in am I still on track am I still living in line with what the Bible tells me am I still on track as far as my direction and my goals are concerned we need to do that recalibration from time to time. And I also think it's important for us as a church to do this. Are we still being the church that God intends for us to be? Are we still aligned with what God intended when he started the church? As we begin a new year, <clears throat> what we did yesterday, but first Sunday of the year, it might be good, a good time for us to think about these things. Not that we have to wait for a new year to do that by any means, but it is the new year, so let's think about it. Of course, to do that, we need to know what we need to calibrate our church to. <laughs> What's the standard? What's the target? 
What are the essentials that need to be there for the church, or our church, to be the church that Jesus intended and intends for us to be? That's an interesting study. Lots of churches do lots of things. They have all kinds of programs and ministries going on. What is essential for the church to be the church Jesus intended when he started the church? For example, I look at our church and to what we have done or had going on in the over 20 years that I've been here. Some things that we do are pretty constant. We've always done them. Some, not so much. They've kind of come and gone over the years. So first of all, the constants. Things that we've always done. It's always been part of us as a church. In no particular order. We have a building. It's always been here. Since I've been here. Some of you remember not having a building. But <laughs> since I've been here, we've always had a building. Have a paid pastor. Have a piano, we have a sound system, we have a worship service every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. We have a functioning elders board and a trustees board. We're involved in Manitou Lake Bible Camp. We have a prayer chain. We have money in the bank, a little bit. <laughs> Those are things that constant. They've always been here since the years I've been here at any rate. Now to the things that have not been so constant. Things that have come and gone over the years that I've been here. Sunday school every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Usually had it, but not always. Junior choir. <laughs> when I moved here, we had a junior choir, believe it or not. Who remembers the junior choir? <laughs> Joyce and Joan <laughs> and Shauna. <laughs> or Lee, you didn't sing in the, yeah, you sang the junior choir. <laughs> had a junior choir, 930. Every Sunday morning at 9.30, they would practice. Then we'd have Sunday school at 10 and worship service at 11. Adult Bible class, that's kind of come and gone over the years. Worship team or music team that leads in worship music. By the way, there's something I just need to get off my chest this morning. I just feel this need to get it off my chest. A lot of churches call it a worship team. I've always refused to do that. I call it a music team. Maybe you wondered why. Because I hate <laughs> Equating music with worship. Like they're the same thing. They're not the same thing at all. So that's why I refuse to call it a worship team. I call it a music team. <laughs> you can worship very well without any music whatsoever. And a lot of music is not really worshipful. <laughs> you don't worship. So anyway, I don't like them. That's all. That's just uh, something I had to get off my chest. Uh, <laughs> Midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. Used to do that quite a bit. Almost always. It's come and gone over the years. Sometimes we've had it, sometimes we haven't. Women's ministries, come and gone. Men's ministries, kind of been more of a late, later thing last number of years. Used to have a college and career group going for a while. Um, children's church. Small group Bible studies. Youth group. It's kind of come and gone over the years. We have a junior youth going now. That's going pretty strong, but for a while we had nothing. Some of the things that have kind of come and gone over the years. So the thing we need to be thinking about, what I want us to think about, which of these things are essentials for the Lashburn Community Church to be the kind of church Jesus had in mind when he started the church? 
Of all those things I just went through, the constants and the come and go, comings and going ministries, which of those things are essential for us to be the church Jesus wants us to be? And that's an interesting question to spend some time thinking about and exploring. If we didn't have a building, could we be still be a real church? That Jesus designed? If we didn't have a men's ministry, or a women's ministry, or a youth group, could we still be the kind of church Jesus wants us to be? Or any of the things I just went through. Which of those are absolute essentials in order for us to have Jesus' kind of church? A pastor, sound system, worship team, music team, children's church, money in the bank. Which are essentials? Now, in our study of the book of Acts, which we will get back to in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're not, I'm not continuing on that study this morning. Uh, but in our study, we did look briefly at chapter 2, verse 42. when we were in that passage a few weeks back. This morning I'd like to focus exclusively on that verse. That's our text today. Acts 2 verse 42. It's right in the middle of that passage that I had Jeremy read because I thought it was good to read that whole passage surrounding that verse so we would get the context. And I hope that as it was read it will have brought back to your mind what is going on here as Luke is recording the events of this early happenings with these believers here in Jerusalem. Jesus had ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, like Jesus promised to his disciples. Peter preached that great sermon. 3,000 people accepted the Lord and were baptized on that day. So now there is a group of 3,000 new believers. And they are just in awe, and with the newness of everything, they just kept on hanging out there in Jerusalem, hanging out together, soaking in all the apostles were teaching them, sharing everything with each other as they had need, and so on. We looked at that as we were going through chapter 2. But verse 42, I believe, gives us the basic essentials that you need in order to have Jesus' kind of church. The kind of church Jesus had in mind when he started the church. kind of church he had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there are some other things that are necessary as well for church to function, practically speaking. But there are four things that are listed in Acts 2 verse 42 that are absolute essentials. If, if, if any of them are not there, it means that you don't have the kind of church that Jesus had in mind when he set out to build his church. So now, just by looking at that verse, you can pretty much fill in your outline. <laughs> just by looking at that verse. The outline are the say, four things that are mentioned in that verse. These are the things, when we look at recalibrating our church, that we need to recalibrate to. This is the standard. This is the target that we want to put our sights on and sight it into. So let's look at it. We need to understand what is essential for a real church to exist. And we can by looking at the teaching that comes out in Acts 2 verse 42. First thing you see there, they were continually devoting themselves to four things, it says there. First one is the apostles' teaching. 
uh, devotion to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing. The apostles' teaching was very important to this group of new converts. It had to be. They were new Christians. Likely, for the most part, ignorant of many of Jesus' teachings. And apart from the apostles, they wouldn't have had a clue of what to do now that they had accepted Christ as their Savior. The apostles, they were the ones who had been with Jesus for three years, hearing his teaching. They were the ones who had seen Jesus after he had risen from the dead. And the Bible tells us that during that period of 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he taught them many things. In addition to what he had taught them before he was crucified, and likely included in those teachings were including teachings about the church, his church, and what his design for his church was. So this group of converts were totally dependent on the apostles' teaching. They recognized that. They accepted that. In fact, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. By the way, I think that word devoted is significant. Uh... Those of you that may have the King James Version or the New King James Version, I think it says they continued steadfastly in. Uh, I think that's a good translation. The, the Greek word means to adhere to, to persevere in, to give unremitting care to a thing. It carries with the idea of making a sustained effort for something, of giving yourself to something. So all four of these things mentioned in this verse are things that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That was essential. And it appears, as you read to Acts chapter 2 and 3, um, it appears that they met together day by day at the temple. Every day they were meeting at the temple, these new believers, and also in each other's homes. And the apostles' teaching was always a part of the gathering. And the apostles' teaching, friend, is essential, is an essential of the church of Jesus Christ. If a local church is going to be the kind of church Jesus had in mind, then the apostles' teaching must be there. And the people of that church must be devoted to it. Well, none of the apostles are alive today. <laughs> so it's pretty hard to get Peter or Paul to come and give us some teaching here. So how does it apply to us? Well, Jesus saw fit to move the apostles to record their teachings. That's what most of the New Testament that we hold in our hands is. It's the apostles' teaching. It's a written record of the apostles' teaching that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, if our church is going to be the kind of church that Jesus had in mind when he designed it, we need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching as recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. It needs to be taught when we get together, and it needs to be listened to and applied by those who are receiving the teaching. Are we devoted to biblical teaching, the apostles' teaching in our church? I think we make every attempt to be, and I think we actually might be one of our stronger points, actually. That's what our Bible studies are about. That's what youth is all about. That's what my sermon is about every Sunday morning. The apostles' teaching, the biblical teaching. But that word devoted to, 
makes us go deeper than having someone teach biblical truths. These people devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. And any of you who have ever been involved in teaching the Bible in any capacity, you know you can fervently teach biblical truths. But if your students don't care or aren't interested, you're just going through the motions. Same as when I preach. No matter how well I do it, people I'm preaching to aren't interested and don't care. It's, it's going through the motions. So it does come down to the heart of each one of us that makes up this congregation. Are we individually and personally devoted to the apostles' teaching? Striving after it, persevering for it, giving ourselves to obtain it, to learn it. If this church is going to be the kind of church, Jesus' kind of church, it's an essential that we as a congregation be devoted to biblical teaching. Second thing mentioned here, fellowship. A devotion to fellowship. <coughs> Excuse me. Gloria, can you give me a glass of water, please? <laughs> devotion to fellowship. Now, that's just, just what is fellowship? Is it getting together for coffee with some people? Is that fellowship? Or getting together with a couple other Christian guys to watch a Grey Cup game? Is, is that fellowship? Or having a meal together after church? Is that fellowship? Not that there's anything wrong with any of those. Those are probably all good things. I, I love doing all of those things. But is that fellowship? Thank you. The Greek word here translated fellowship is the word koinonia. Basically, it means an association with, a communion with, a close relationship with. carries with it the idea of closely sharing something that is common with another or with a group. So here in Acts 2 verse 42, this group of converts had in common their salvation by Jesus Christ and their newfound relationship with Jesus Christ and that brought them together and they closely shared that with each other. And as you study how this word is used in the, of the church throughout the New Testament, what comes out is that church fellowship is to be a close relationship between the people of a local church. They are to be closely knit together as a group. That phrase, knit together, I think is perhaps best describes that word fellowship. Knit together. Huh. Think of an Afghan. And I had one to bring to church with me and I forgot it. But I see there's something I can use laying on this rocking chair here. Irene, you don't happen to have one in your purse, do you? <laughs> I usually do. <laughs> Knit together. 
you look at this thing, this is kind of a little closer knit than <laughs> what I had. But look at the, the yarn in each, in this, in this blanket or whatever you call this thing, Afghan. All the strings of yarn that are knit together and holding it all together. So what happens if I, uh, if I grab hold of one string here? I see a loose string. <laughs> I don't know what's loose or not, but... But what happens if I just take it and pull on it? Well, you see it pulls on the whole thing, right? Because it's knit together. That's what knit together is. It's all put together and knit together and tied together into one blanket. Bonnie's not going to like that. No, no. <laughs> So what affects one string affects the whole thing if it's knit together. And that's a picture of fellowship. When a group is knit together, they are all connected. What affects one person affects the whole group. Notice verse 42 says that this group devoted themselves to fellowship. They persisted in it. They gave themselves to the purpose of fellowship. They deliberately chose to pursue it. They made themselves into a group that was knit together. And friends, I think that's another church essential. If we're going to be Jesus' kind of church, we as a congregation need to be devoted to fellowship. We need to pursue it. We need to persist in it. We need to give ourselves for that purpose. We share in common our salvation through Jesus and our relationship with him. We have that in common. And notice some other ways this came out in the early church. As you read on verse 45, 4, 45, 46. Uh, they had all things in common, it says, verse 44. Verse 45, they were taking care of each other's needs. Verse 46, they were sharing meals together. All these things are fellowship in action. They were devoted to it. Now, how are we doing as a church? Are we devoted to fellowship? It's an essential if we want to be Jesus' kind of church. And if that fellowship, that close-knit fellowship isn't there, can we say that we have a real church, the kind Jesus had in mind when he started the church? So how are we doing? Any recalibration that needs to be done here. We needed to be devoted to fellowship. Third thing mentioned there in verse 42 is the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now undoubtedly this means, in the broad meaning of it, that they had their meals together. And they shared their meals together. It says that back in, or in this passage, I'm not sure which verse now, but that they went from house to house sharing meals together. So they would obviously take turns hosting the crowd, or at least a part of the crowd maybe would go to this house, another part of the crowd would go there, another house for meals, for example. Verse 46 tells us that was a daily occurrence. 
So the breaking of bread. But all the commentators that I've read agree that this was more than just eating meals together. Because of the peculiarity of that phrase. Breaking of bread. It strongly sounds like what Jesus did that night before his crucifixion. When he was eating the Passover meal with his disciples, he broke the bread and passed it and said, this is my body given for you. So almost certainly here at the very beginning, this celebrating of the Lord's table or celebrating of communion was done along with the eating of the meal. They did communion as part of their regular meal. Later on, they kind of got separated, and that's likely because of the trouble in the Corinthian church. Uh, you can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They got to themselves into trouble over this thing of having a fellowship meal and communion as a part of it. And um, they really were abusing it, and were abusing the people through it. And so the Apostle Paul gives instructions that maybe you should separate the two. Eat at home first, and then come to, to, together and have your communion together at the church or at the house where they were meeting. But by using that phrase, breaking of bread, the commentators, most well, actually all commentators of read, feel that the emphasis is not so much on the meal, but it's on the communion part of it. It's on the Lord's table. That's what they're devoted to, not just the meal itself. It was the communion where they remembered the death and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It was that that they were devoted to, that remembrance. That's what brought them together and made them into a fellowship, a close-knit body. It was that sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for them. And again, I, I, I think this is something that is essential for a real church, a devotion to the Lord's table. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples to do often. In fact, Jesus, you remember at the Passover meal, was recorded in the Gospels, when he passed the cup around, he said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you partake of it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So it's clearly something Jesus wants us to do regularly and often. Until, that, until he comes back. And you know, something that's always struck me is that there are really only two things that Jesus deliberately commanded that his followers do regularly on a regular basis from here on in until he returns. Two things he wants his church to practice. This communion or the Lord's table is one of them where he directly commanded that we do that. And secondly, is baptism. Really the only two things that he gave direct commands about. Jesus never gave any order that we should celebrate Christmas, his birth. He never gave any order we should celebrate his resurrection at, or celebrate Easter. No, not that it's bad that we do. In fact, it's good that we do. We should. But Jesus did give orders regarding we celebrating his death through the communion service. By means, yeah, by means of the communion service. He did give orders about that. So this kind of convicted me as I was preparing this. and Maybe in the next few minutes I'll preach to myself more than you. We, we, we as a church, we try to celebrate communion every few months. But at times we've gone longer. Mainly because it kind of slips in my mind, frankly. That's why. 
It's on me. But this tells me a couple things. Firstly, simply by the fact that Jesus commanded it and that we should do it often, that tells me Jesus considers it important. Jesus obviously felt that this was something Christians needed to do for their own benefit, for their spiritual lives. And second, by the fact that this was something this early church devoted themselves to, obviously under the teaching of the apostles, tells me that the apostles and then these first converts took this very seriously. Perhaps we don't, or I don't, take this nearly seriously enough. And as I thought about it, I realized that celebrating the Lord's Supper is actually a very sobering thing. It's hard to do that flippantly. It brings us face to face with the cross. And when that happens, we're forced to look at ourselves. It serves to bring us back in line with what happened when we accepted Christ. And it brings us together as believers, or at least it should, because we're all coming to the communion table. We're all coming to the cross on level ground. We're all just sinners saved by grace. That's what the communion service does. It brings us all to the same level, realizing we are just sinners in need of grace. And that's important that we recognize that. So I... I guess I need to take this way more seriously. This tells me we, this is unessential for a real church. If I as a pastor am not devoted to this, and if we as a congregation are not devoted to this, then we're not Jesus kind of church. This is an essential. So as a pastor, I need to get my act together a bit better on this. So next Sunday will be communion. <laughs> Seriously, we will do next, communion next Sunday. To be Jesus kind of church, this is essential. That we be devoted to the Lord's table. And then fourthly and finally, there's a devotion to prayer. A devotion to prayer. It's the last thing mentioned here in verse 42 that they were devoted to. So obviously prayer was a very vital part of what they did when they got together every day. And it has to be. If we're going to be the kind of church Jesus wants us to be, you can't do be a real church without prayer. So that only makes sense. Throughout the New Testament, we're told that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's the boss, if you like. He gives the directions through the Holy Spirit to his people. So if we're going to be a real church and take our directions from him, if he's our head, if he's our boss, doesn't it make sense we talk to him <laughs> regularly and collectively? Think about your job. You work for a boss, most of you, and likely in your job there's more employees than just you. What would happen if you as employees doing the work of the business or the work of the company never talked to the boss? He never talked to you, you never talked to him. How would that go? What kind of business would that be? You'd shudder to imagine it. Same is true as the church. Jesus is the boss. So we need to be in constant communication with him, not only in our individual lives, but together. We need to pray together when we get together. We need to be in communication with the boss so we can be on the same page as the boss. That's what Jesus had in mind when he designed the church. These first Christians in the early church were devoted to prayer. 
They persisted in it. They gave themselves to it. And so should we. If we're going to be a real church, Jesus kind of church, this is essential. That we be devoted to prayer. If we aren't, I don't think we have the right to call ourselves Jesus kind of church. So how are we doing? Are we as a congregation devoted to prayer? And again, that's a question that comes down to each of us individually. Am I devoted to prayer? So, therefore, from this verse, we see what the basic essentials of a real church is. Jesus kind of church. These are the essential things. These are what we need to set our crosshairs on. A devotion to the apostles' teaching, a devotion to fellowship, a devotion to the breaking of bread, a devotion to prayer. As you look at those four essentials and compare that with our church, how are we doing? Do we need to do some sighting in? Some recalibration? Are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are we devoted to fellowship? Are we devoted to the breaking of bread? Are we devoted to prayer? As I look at it, I think we're stronger in some areas than in others. But instead of giving you my evaluation, I would like each of us individually to think about this. Because in each case, in every one of those cases, it comes down to each of us individually and personally being devoted to these things. Church leadership can push these things all they want, and and yeah, they can foster foster the growth of these things. But really, when it comes down to it, the individuals of a church have to be individually devoted to these things for it to be real and effective. So we really need to evaluate ourselves first. These are the essentials. So let's take our time of silence, and as we open ourselves to God speaking to us, let's maybe do that recalibration in our own minds. So I'll give you a few moments. Amen. And let's um, sing a couple of just little courses in response to this.
first one is, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I got something running through my mind here. I don't know if I should do it or not. <laughs> in some churches, they make a regular thing of during the service, you go shake everybody else's hand in the, <laughs> who's in the church and say, Welcome here. Good that you're a part of the family. Happy New Year today, whatever. So when I've been in churches that I'm not familiar with, the people of that church, it's a little awkward to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I should do that or not. So, uh, But if you feel the need to go and tell somebody you're glad they're a part of the family of glad that we're a part of the family of God, feel free to go and shake somebody's hand while we're singing and do that. If you don't feel you don't want, you don't want to, it's not a rule. Don't do it. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Let's sing it again. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And over to 286, another kind of along the same line. Blessed be the tie that binds. 286. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts, and our cares. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Then over to 395, Teach Me Thy Way. <clears throat> 395 in your hymn books if you're looking at your hymn books <coughs> and I pray that as we consider what God told us here this morning that would be our prayer that God would teach us his way 
don't want to do things our way. We want to do things his way. Teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way. Thy guiding grace afford, teach me thy way. Help me to walk aright, more by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me thy way. When I am sad at heart, teach me thy way. When earthly joys depart, teach me thy way. In hours of loneliness, in times of dire distress, in failure or success, teach me thy way. Verse 4. <clears throat> Long as my life shall last, teach me thy way. Where'er my lot be cast, teach me thy way. Until the until the journey's done, until 